NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Sports Network. This is the AFL Show where we preview the rounds. And boy, it is round 23. Can you believe it? My name is Julian Balthazar and I'm going to be hosting today, joined as always by Yuri Bilicic. Yuri, what's the latest? Oh, Julian, great to have a chat with you as always, right? Last week we couldn't do it, but hey, we're back together and hopefully next week Nathan will be back on board. He's just got a few things going on at the moment, just I think moving house at this stage. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be great to have him back on board to preview all three of us for next week, the 24th and final round and looking ahead towards finals as well. So yeah, can't wait to break it all down with you. What should be absolutely corker with, as we always say, ramifications for each game. Absolutely. One of the best years we are seeing, and we are closing in on what's going to be one of the most exciting finals in history. I'm calling it early. Let's start with one of the most exciting games of the round. It's Collingwood versus Brisbane Friday night at Marvel Stadium. Uh, Marvel, that is an interesting one. Jacob Ryan, the debutant, I think he's a defender for Collingwood, is being brought in. Still side bottom is back in the side as well. Out goes Bobby Hill, Darcy Moore, and Jordan DeGoey, all injured. So three key players out there for the Magpies. In for the Brisbane Lions comes Coleman. Out goes Jack Gunston with that injury, and Jackson Pryor gets omitted. Will Hoskin-Elliott is playing his 200th game. That's a milestone. Yuri, I'd love to hear you unpack this game. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it should be an absolutely cracker of a game, Julian. And it's unusual that both teams do play at Docklands because just looking into, since Docklands opened back in 2000, this is only the fourth time in the last 23 years that the teams will be playing under the roof. So it is completely foreign, which is totally fine whatsoever but I think when you look at how the game probably shapes up as well I think we saw after the first quarter Collingwood regain that DNA identity of pressuring Geelong around and forcing those forward half turnovers which ultimately was the backbreaker in that final quarter when Geelong gave up those two costly goals which ultimately cost them the game and I think that's a big part of what Collingwood have done in these last couple of seasons under Craig McRae is to establish a level of pressure which the opposition can't match and now something that really came to the fore and Tom Mitchell's the other big talking point coming away from the game too Julian because there were sort of murmurings here and there about whether he still has a spot in Collingwood's best 22 well you can quash that talk and put it to bed because he's an integral piece Julian and it's strange enough people will have said here and there oh it's just leftovers that he left Hawthorne to join Collingwood and what was the need for Collingwood to bring in? Well, you look at last season, right? Out of the minor weakness that Collingwood possessed was in terms of their contested ball. They're basically, I think, 17th. They're right at the bottom tier of the 18 sides in that category. And he's put them up to not the top elite of the teams in terms of contested possession, but in the middle category, which is good enough to compete deep for a final spot as they did last year all the way to the prelim final and his display against Geelong he got it going with the 16 contested out of his 24 disposals and that's what he's been doing this season for the Magpies and apart from just that lean patch of footy for that month I think against Fremont he got subbed out and there was a few other games where he probably didn't have that usual influence around the contest which he normally has had for such a long period of what has been an excellent career so that was the other big tick I think going away from the contest and although they did lose Darcy Moore with a hamstring injury and right it was initially feared that he'd be out for who knows how many weeks because at first he grabbed his hamstring up pretty high which is never a good sign Julian when you see a player grabbing his hamstring high up 
you almost automatically think, oh, it's going to be a five, six-week injury and it's going to take a while for them to regain their match conditioning because trying to get back into the flow and the speed of the game is hard enough as it is. So luckily it's just the two games and he'll be back for the first week of finals. So that's the big upside there for Collingwood too. And Brisbane, I think we saw last week again in that final quarter against Adelaide, they always seem to have these patches, Julian, where they just lull to sleep and just lose concentration just for that final quarter alone. We saw it two times against Melbourne, which ultimately cost them in round 18 and nearly cost them in round two after that power outage, I think midway through the final quarter. And there was a few other games too, which they almost cost themselves the four points. But yet again, I think what we saw in round four too, Julian, between the sides is for the first time this season, I think, for Collingwood, apart from the Carlton game and the Hawthorne game, they were caught for leg speed a little bit. I think that was the biggest glaring point from that because when Brisbane are able to create space now to get their runners going and when, of course, up forward with Joe Danaher and Charlie Cameron running rings around defences and Eric Hipwood has been in great form this last month and has just slowly built into the season, that's pretty much the blueprint slash template they've got set for tomorrow night. And if they can do that against Collingwood's backline, which, of course, without Darcy Moore, Nathan Murphy will have majority of the responsibility. It's going to be super tight whatsoever, Julian. And again, for Brisbane to win and ultimately be one step towards locking up a home qualifying final, which it's big enough stakes as it is, considering the Gabbers have been a fortress for the last five seasons and whatever else you want to sort of add to it. But yet again, I think there's just something I think with Collingwood and the depth that although we saw Jordan Degoe, especially he was laboring quite a fair bit last week against Geelong. I think during that second quarter, he came off and then came back on and he was sort of a little bit proppy here and there. So that's a big enough loss, but still I think they've, they've got enough depth around the midfield to cover for his absence. And of course, cover for Nick Dacos' absence and they should just narrowly get the job done by a couple of goals, Julian. Interesting points. Um, just a fantasy tip for those. I think Maynard in Darcy Moore's absence with no Nick Dacos as well. Um, around the 20 disposals would be an interesting bet to jump on. We're going to move over to Richmond versus North Melbourne. This is Saturday at 1.45pm at the MCG. And it's going to be a big one because we farewell a couple stars of our game, Jack Rewalt and Trent Cochin. Uh, speaking of the teams for Richmond, that's Trent Cochin and Jacob Hopper come in for the side. Out goes Jacob Bauer, Matthew Coldhard omitted, and Ryan Mansell was the sub. In for North Melbourne comes Daniel Howe, Hugh Greenwood, Tom Powell, and Will Phillips. And out for North Melbourne is Ben Cunnington, um, managed as we saw. He played his final game last week, which was a fantastic game. Charlie, Zaz- Ch- sorry, Charlie Lazaro is omitted. George Wardlow is managed. Jackson Archer is omitted. And Jaden Stevenson is injured. So quite a few changes for North. I'd expect Richmond to farewell Rewalt and Cotchen with a game they deserve. Funny that they have their last games against North Melbourne at the MCG. Yuri, what are your thoughts on this game? They should get the job done, Julian. Although they've been on basically f- tired legs for the last three weeks, I think that's pretty much well shown in some of the main statistical categories. I think the inside 50 differential has been startling the last three weeks. And mm. Melbourne, they minus 28. St. Kilda last week, I think they were minus 10. And I think the other game, which has slipped down my head as well, too, they were about minus six. Oh, against Western Bulldogs, yes, the Friday night game. I think it was minus 16 or something, 64 to 48. So that's been a real sort of differential, which they haven't been able to overcome. And I think just 
It's a very interesting time as well for Richmond come the end of this season, Julian, exactly where their list is at. And I think that's sort of the unknown at this stage because I don't think they've ever been – they haven't been in a rebuilding phase since, what, when Damien Hardwick took over at the end of 2009 where he basically had to clean the whole Richmond playing list cupboard and basically bring his own philosophy and, of course, draft the right players. And although they had a young Trent Cochin coming through back at the time and Jack Rewalt, they're trying to just draft more players and then along the way, of course, recruiting players from other clubs. So I think that's probably the same probably steadfast process that they're going to go through next season at this stage. It's only a prediction. It's not set in stone. So that's probably the yeah the unknown, I think, that Tigers fans haven't seen for probably the last 13, 14 years. And, of course, North Melbourne last week joined – they gave their all right, right from the opening bounce. And, of course, Ben Cunnington got the first goal of the game and sure seen the celebrations, right? It was just magnificent just mm. to see because through what he's been through and what he's given to the club since he was drafted in 2009 as the fifth overall pick, always gave it his all week in, week out, brunted his way through contests like there was no tomorrow. And just – you never saw him take a backward step in the contest physically in the cold face. And that's what – epitomized him as a true shinboner within a long history of North Melbourne greats. And I think that was just, it was fitting for him to get that opening goal. But unfortunately, it wasn't fitting that they couldn't get the win because they tried so hard in the last five minutes, right? When they were attacking, attacking, attacking. And just some of their 40, 50 entries late in the game ultimately cost them. And so that was a, a disappointing way to finish. But I think they can take heart from what they've done the last couple of weeks. But yet again, it was always going to be that season, I think, for the Kangaroos that there were going to be more growing pains than just victories alone or slash small victories for them. But I think come Saturday, the Tigers should have enough engine juice to get the job done, I think, Julian. Although they won't be playing finals, it's just more than enough of a driving factor to farewell both Trent Cotcher and Jack Rewalt, who who've been such a big who've been big stalwarts for the Richmond Football Club for well since when Cochin was drafted in 2007 and Rewalt was drafted the year before him and the two alongside Dustin Martin basically laid the pieces for why Richmond were able to break their premiership drought alongside Damien Hardwick back in 2017 for the first time in 37 years I just feel as though yet again just that more of those season midfield bodies that they've got with Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper in there and also backline I think Although, for some reason, Julian, it's very peculiar this season alone that their back six has been very scratchy. Have you noticed that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It's they're just changing the names, changing the names frequently and they're mixing it up. And yeah. Yeah, it has been a bit odd this season. So that's something I've just wanted to just dissect just a little bit on. And I think look, not having Josh Gibkiss as well was mm. a major blow too because he had an outstanding first year and I think he did his hamstring midway through pre-season training, I think in January this year and then just yeah. ultimately tried getting his way back and unfortunately succumbed to another hamstring injury, which is really disappointing for him because he's got so much upside, right? And it's going to be an integral piece for Richmond's future. But yeah, just back yeah. with the game as well. I just, I see Richmond winning the game and hopefully he's a big, contingent of Richmond supporters that will flock through Punt Road and into the MCG turnstiles to farewell both Cochin and Rewalt on the winning night. 
would be fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned their back line. I noticed, like, you know, they've, they've toyed around. I'm, I remember at the start of the season, Liam Baker was in there as well, and now he's been chucked forward. Daniel Rioli started the season in immaculate form, and he's sort of dropped off, although, mind you, he had a few injuries the last few weeks. Jaden Short finds himself, you know, up the ground, and then he's down there taking kickouts. You know, it's an interesting one, but, you know, on paper, especially when they had, um, you know, their, their most – promising lineup their backline looks super solid on paper so it's interesting that they can't get that right but as you said also the inside 50s has been a worry for them as well so that's a great pickup on your end for those who are brave enough jack rewald is paying four dollars oh my god look at this he was paying four dollars <laughs> thirty for five goals he just went into three dollars eighty within the last 10 seconds Jeez, people are jumping all over that <laughs> all right we're going to move over to an interesting game and i say interesting for two reasons one colton are on is it eight in a row is that what they're yes it is eight in a row now so that's one interesting point. Two, the second interesting point is uh, it's Yuri's team. So I can't wait for you to unpack, uh, you know, Carlton's game here. And and the third interesting point is I I scream. This screams danger game to me for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it's Gold Coast versus Carlton at two ten p.m. at Heritage Bank Stadium. There's a few changes for Gold Coast, so bear with me. In comes Alex Sexton, Ben King, Braden Fiorini, Connor Budrick, and Lloyd Johnston. And out omitted goes Darcy McPherson and Elijah Hollands, as well with Jai Farah. Injured goes Nick Holman, Sam Day is omitted, and out is James Sitsas as well. In for Colton comes Harry Mackay. Boom, he's back. Ed Kerno was the sub. I say his name every week in and out of the side. Lockie Fogarty is injured. A couple of milestone games, just 50th games for David Cunningham and Matthew Cottrell, who's showing some good signs for Colton. Yuri, yeah, I don't know. I think when teams start to win this many in a row, these sort of games like Gold Coast at home can scream danger for some reason. I'm not sure why. Or a Colton and just in that form that they tick this one off as well. You talk perfectly about danger game, Julian, and I definitely agree with you because for whatever reason, when Carlton travels up to the Gold Coast, even though the teams have split eight meetings since the Suns came into the competition back in 2011, Metricon Stadium, well, formerly Metricon Stadium, now Heritage Bank Stadium, it's a very haunting ground for a very strange reason for Carlton. I think last year when they lost in round four and unfortunately Patrick Cripps did his hamstring that game as well. I think it was during the first or second quarter by memory. And, yeah, and they end up losing that game by five goals. And then that, well, that horrible night back in 2012, which Gold Coast won by two goals, which ultimately was the end of Coach Brett Ratton's tenure at Carlton, which was one of the, probably the worst games I've probably seen. It was pretty devastating to say the least because everyone in the AFL world knew his fate by the time the siren sounded. And just to see just those images, I think, I think when – I was trying to remember, I think Campbell Brown kicked that winning goal in the last three minutes and you, you had a look at the coaches' boxes and Ratton's just there and you could just see his fate was sealed. So that was a complete travesty at the time, Julian. And just a few other contests as well, which we've sort of been on the losing end, only narrowly, but it's always posed that challenge too with the Suns. And I think just going away from that now, round 14, of course, was the catalyst for this Carlton Revival smashing up the Suns after that first quarter because look, looking yeah. at that opening quarter alone, we thought, oh, here we go again. This is just going to be the same old Carlton as it's been for what the previous mm. losses of eight games in nine and here we go again once more. But then something just clicked in that second quarter and the center square clearances with Walsh, Chair and Cripps just ran right and yep. it's basically just translated through to this last two months, which has right. just been incredible, right? So <laughs> I think the big part too, of course, no Chair and no Walsh. They'll most likely be back for the final game against the Giants. But the big one too is Harry Mackay. And do you know what has irked me in the last 24 hours, Julian? And mm. I find this very blasphemous is that some of the commentary – 
on why Carlton's bare without Harry Mackay. Oh, wow. I think you've got to be joking, mate. Oh, I tried to say that about Clayton Oliver as well. It's funny how gee, a player injured just brings up all these ridiculous stats. I, I don't know how they make that call. And it's ridiculous enough because it's a small enough sample size, Julian. If that was one season, two seasons, you can make a case for that. But it's two yeah. months, Julian. That's yeah. the issue right there. And there's not enough substance to look at it because I think – in, in itself alone as well. We've seen the last couple of weeks with the Blues and how St Kilda, yep. your side, and yep. also last week as well against Melbourne, that they've double and triple teamed him, Julian. Exactly. So there we go. There's the simple answer. Harry Mackay is part of Carlton's best 22. There you go. Flat stat, full stop. So just going back to the game as well, I think it's going to be a really good test too for with Gold Coast's forward set up because they've been really good this season. We've spoken about numerous times on the show, Ben King, Jack Lukosius combining for over 60 goals this year. But Ben King's going to have his work cut out against Jacob Wiedering because ever since round 11 against Sydney, when he shut out Lance Buddy Franklin, he's now sadly retired, he's just completely gone back to his scintillating all-Australian form now, Wieders. He's intercepting marks. He's roaming around the field just fearlessly, putting his body on the line. And this is going to be the real test for the Suns going forward as well because the Blues love to zone. I think Brody Kemp as well, another player, loves to intercept Mark and then go from the back 50. So that's a just an area where the Suns have to be mindful when they're using the ball going forward not to butcher it up as many times as they, well, I think just in terms of clangers alone, which may cost them the game. And also in midfield too, I think, of course, the Blues will be our fine ways without Walsh and Chera. And Hewitt's the big one from last week, Julian. He, uh, he's had a, an up-and-down season alone. Mm. Of course, he missed that game against the Giants with the broken hand. And then just the midfield muddle that we are going through at the time as well. And Vossi had to switch the magnets around because we had too many contested guys. So he ended up coming on as a sub for the first time in his career against Collingwood in round 10. Unfortunately, he gets knocked out in the tackle early in the second quarter against Sydney the following week. Misses, I think, three weeks. Comes on as a sub in consecutive weeks against Fremantle, against Hawthorne, shall I say, first, and then Fremantle. And then once Kennedy sprains his MCL, his opportunity comes up and he's taking yeah. it with both hands. That's and right. that's And that's the, also the other reason why, Julian, why the Blues – targeted him as a free agent in the 2021 offseason was to alleviate the pressure of Patrick Cripps and not to have so much sole emphasis on Cripper doing the spade work week in, week out. And speaking of Cripper as well, Julian, his form in during this eight-game winning streak has just been completely off the charts. Vossi was asked that question after the Bombers lost about Patrick Cripps's form at this stage or whether he was injured. He just basically said he was his form. Everyone goes through a down form patch. He only had 19 touches that night. And Mm -hmm. since then, he's averaged, well, his usual numbers, 25.9 points and 8.3 clearances, six tackles, 13.3 contested possessions. So it sets, it speaks volumes, right, of a captain who's prideful in his performance, gives an absolute damn about winning and all he wants is success, right? Because he's basically played 180 games now, Julian, and has not made a single final, Mm. not played one single final. And it's almost there. And if Carlton do win it, then finals are booked for the first time in a decade. But yeah, just a little bit more on the game as well. And I think for the first half with Gold Coast against Sydney last week, they're ultra competitive, right? They're two points behind. And the one fatal mistake they made and I was speaking about this on another podcast yesterday, is that the tag that they used for 
Errol Golden in that first half with Tuke Miller. I think he only had seven touches alone. And then this, it, this was probably the ultimate fight that probably cost the Suns in the end was dropping the Errol Golden tag and just allow him to work his way into a contest, get the uncontested ball, run rings on around on the wing. And it just, it wasn't the right decision whatsoever. And I think this may be one of the strategies for the Suns in terms of tagging, but having Tuke Miller and Patrick Cripps, it's not a bad idea. Although he's giving away 17 centimetres in height, mm. you've got to go for it somehow. That's my strategy, I think, if you're a Gold Coast Suns in, in terms of what you do to combat Crips because that's where it all begins in Carlton's engine room. I'm sure they'll put some attention on him. What a great game. We could talk about that one for hours. I can't wait to watch that one. We're going to move over to Giant Stadium. It's the GWS Giants versus Essendon. This should be a great game. Brent Daniels and Toby Bedford are in for the Giants. Out goes Jacob Were. He was a sub. Nick Haynes goes out with an illness. And Toby McMullen was a sub. In for Essendon comes Jake Stringer and Sam Draper. He's back. Out goes Baldwin omitted, Nick Bryan omitted, and Will Snelling. He was the sub. All right, so the Giants, I, I jumped on their bandwagon. I thought the Orange Tsunami was in full effect, and then they were quite disappointed against Port Adelaide last week. Hopefully they bounce back in this game, although Essendon, they've got a lot to play for as well. How do you see this one going? I think it's going to be super close, Julian. I feel as though the Giants will narrowly get it done, and with Sam Draper's inclusion as well, he hasn't played in basically 10 weeks, right? Just over two months with that. I think it's a hip complaint he was battling through, so mm. that's a... That's a major return considering all the physical attributes in the ruck that he presents as well. And even his clearance work for a ruckman is great. And that's the one thing too that yeah. they've just been lacking a, a little bit in the way the Bombers. So that's the upside as well. And Jake String as well, of course. We know how mercurial he can be. And, and yes, at times he, the extinguisher does go onto him. He goes missing in certain patches and there's just a period there in the final five, ten minutes of a game when the Bombers need a spark and he delivers. And I think we saw that in round four when the two teams played right, Julian. He he was incredible that afternoon, four goals, six, and there was an incredible barrel kick I think he had from 70 in the final quarter, which sort of set the Bombers crowd alight too and really gave him the extra lift because the game was, I think, pretty close at that stage and he bobbed up as he's done when – Teams of, of course, when he was at the Western Bulldogs and with Essendon, of course. And I think with the Giants too, and this is something that was surely lacking or sorely lacking, shall I say, last week was missing both Toby Bedford and Brent Daniels through suspension as well, because the Giants' fourth half pressure this season is number one and they lost so much of it. And those two set the tone when it yeah. comes to forward 50 tackling pressure. And that's going to help a lot whatsoever and I think the biggest part too as well we saw Tom Green have a really good game last week I think Cogs arguably had his quietest game of the year Stephen Canelo the former skipper so yeah. I think look for him to bounce back yeah. too and also I think Jack Buckley and Sam Taylor probably the first time as a defensive pairing this season were well beaten Jeremy Finlayson and Todd Marshall really got hold of them so be keen to see what the Bombers do with Peter Wright and although Peter Wright isn't as nimble as say Jeremy Finlayson or Todd Marshall, he's got to somehow find a way to just try and run them off their feet a little bit, try and get into more of a physical one-on-one wrestle contest deep in the goal square and maybe just try and isolate him out of the top of the goal square. I think that's going to be a big part as well. Carl Langford, of course, he's basically, you can almost put him in that all-Australian team, I think, too, Julian. He's 
he's been tremendous this year. And mm. I think that's where it's going to be so much for the Bombers. Those two hit, kick their fair share of goals. And I think Jai Menzi as well as two's had a very good first season as well at Essendon after being a mid-season pickup. And I think they're midfielders too as well with Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish. Both were instrumental in that round four victory. They've, they've got to have their impacts whatsoever. And I think the one thing too, Julian, and I did jot this down, and this may be a tag employee of the Giants, using Harry Perryman on Zach Merritt. Mm. What do you make of that? Well, Merritt was tagged out of the game last week by Curtis Taylor, and that worked fantastically. So, yeah, absolutely. They'll throw someone to him, I'm sure. Yeah, because I think the other part to it, Julian, is that when the Giants travelled to face Adelaide five weeks ago and – Josh Rochelle, of course, being the live way they, that he is. And I think they put Harry Perryman onto him. And he got so far under his skin to the point where Rochelle, of course, lost his cool and ended up copying a two-game suspension from the match review panel because of it. So mm. I think look, look for that. And because we've seen it this season, right, teams have decided to swing the ploy, have the tag on Zach Merritt, and it has worked to the extent, right? And I think Carlton did it in round 13 with Ed Curnow for the first half I think Merritt had eight touches in in that opening half alone, and of course they swung him forward. So I think yeah. if that does happen, then look for Brad Scott to probably use that same strategy ploy if Merritt doesn't have his impact in the opening half and have him playing as a forward and trying to run rings around Perryman in that regard. So I think this is going to be super close, but just see the Giants narrowly squeaking through. Although last week's loss to Port Adelaide was a significant dent to their percentage. It's ninth versus 10th. It's going to be a fantastic game. Hopefully, it is a cracker for Giants, SNN, and neutral fans. We're going to move over to another great game, although I'm going to say that about every game because they are all fantastic in their own right this week. Adelaide Crows versus Sydney Swans. Isaac Rankin comes in for the Crows. Out goes Luke Nankervis and Luke Pedler omitted. In for the Sydney Swans comes Braden Campbell, the left footer. Dane Rampey and Jack Fuller are in. Out goes Aaron Francis omitted. Joel Amadi, a big loss injured. Matt Roberts omitted. And Ryan Clark was a sub. A couple milestone games. Shane McAdam playing his 50th game. And the Lizard, Nick Blakey, playing his 100th game. Adelaide at Adelaide Oval are super strong, but Sydney, geez, they're in some pretty good form and they're, they're just getting the job done at the moment. Yuri, who are you tipping for this one? I think I'm swaying towards Sydney narrowly, I think, Julian. I think there's just something this last couple of months with the Swans where they've basically been in finals, elimination final situations, and they've really had to fight tooth and nail to climb up the ranks of Latin. Now they currently sit seventh. I think it's the first time since round five that they've been in the top eight. So it's an incredible turnaround from the side. We know for a long period of time that refuses to just relinquish and refuses to just kick away the season, although there's nothing to play for except for pride, but that's not in the Swans' DNA. And I feel as though they always seem to play really well away too from the SCG, Julian, and mm. just that whole DNA backs-to-wall mentality, I think it's going to serve them extremely well. Of course, playing the Crows at the Adelaide Oval this season, teams have had such an assortment of issues in that first quarter, especially the first 30 minutes of a game where once Adelaide get up and firing and get their enough midfield ball supply and they're damaging forwards with Tex Walk-Up, then Isaac Rankar, of course, coming back from that hamstring injury, Josh Rochelle and Riley Thilthorpe, who's had a good run of form in the last few weeks. They're, they're just difficult proposition 
to really contend with, and especially when the crowd gets behind them. So that's a big lookout as well for Sydney. But they shouldn't fear whatsoever because, well, the last couple of times, they've only played each other two times in the last six years at the venue, Julian. 2017, of course. I think it was a late game in that home and away season. And and in the first round of what was the first, well, basically – I think it was the first game without crowds, right? In Rory Sloan's 200th game three years yeah. ago. Yeah. So this is completely different territory whatsoever. And it's a completely new slate. And I just feel as though we've talked about at times with Sydney's defense and just how they've gone under the radar. But they're not arguably the tallest back six apart from Nick Blakey, but they don't want to use him as a key defender. They want to use him as that running, rebounding defender. And, of course, getting Dane Rampey back as well, and he plays way below his size, right? He's, what, six foot two and still gets the job done week in, week out. So that's a significant inclusion as well for Mm. Sydney. And I think Luke Pedler's omission, that's a surprising one too. I think what he's produced this season as well and just absolutely sort of – rotating his way between the midfield and up forward and just providing another dimension as there. So I think, who knows, he, he could be the sub. That yeah. that may be the making of it perhaps and yeah. maybe what Coach Matthew Nix is thinking of doing because it's a long season, of course. I think he's only 22 or 23 or something. So maybe just a cautionary measure just to just rest him up a little bit and insert him into the game when the team needs him. So that's the, I think, the whole devising ploy around it. So I think just alone, both teams love to attack. That's that's the obvious going into this game as well. And I think alone, Sydney's clearance game has always been solid and it's always, well, probably not the last month or so, but when they've won their fair share of games, it has just evened out 50-50. So if they can do that, then... I can probably see them getting over the line. And also the tackle pressure as well. That's going to be key too. I think Sydney have really sort of laid out their own foundations in this last couple of months to really putting pressure on the ball carrier and getting and forcing forward half turnovers and punishing the opposition the other way too. So look for that as well. And I think the other key, well, interesting matchup as well with Max Michelani and Tom Papley, I think that may be a potential matchup there, Julian. That'd be... Awesome matchup to watch. Uh, also, just a little side note, I love seeing Matt Crouch back in the Adelaide side. Jeez, um, always been a big fan of his, as are most fantasy slash betting lads. <laughs> We're going to move over to Marvel Stadium. This game actually might be before the Crows game, so I apologize I didn't go in order there. But nonetheless, this is a fantastic game for a Saints fan like myself. St. Kilda versus Geelong, Cats at Marvel Stadium. No changes for the Saints. Just noted is Hunter Clark, who was a sub is not in the side, so he, he might be the sub again. In for Geelong Cats, some big ins. Tom Hawkins is back for them. In comes Jed Buse as well. Out goes Brandon Puffett. He was a sub. Gary Rowan, a big loss. He's injured, as well as Reese Stanley injured as well. A couple milestone games. Max Holmes is playing his 50th game, and Jack Higgins is playing his 100th game for the Saints. Huge finals game here, and I say finals because, you know, this win determines which of these teams might just scrape into the eight. The Saints must win this. They've got Brisbane at the Gabba next weekend, so they know how important this game is, as do Geelong, who are somehow still fighting for a spot in the eight, but their chances are looking quite unlikely. This is just a must-win for both games, and that's why I love this round. Yuri, yeah, I can't wait to hear you unpack this one. I think it's going to be super close too, Julian, and I also want to hear your thoughts as well, being a St. Kilda supporter, because I think we saw last Sunday right against the Tigers in that first half alone where... St. Kilda, I think, 
really used the corridor a lot oh, more. Took the words out of my have, mouth. <laughs> yeah, they've they used a lot more of the middle section of Docklands to set up their attacking fifty four A's, and it mm. served them well because, of course, with Ross Lyonsides, and you very well noticed for a long period of time when Ross was there at his first stint that they always love to use the boundary and yeah. they sort of shy away from the corridor. But when the opportunity presented itself on Sunday, and that's also another part too, because Richmond's defense, they could allow the Tigers' yeah, backline to get set. So it was something that was really well done from St Kilda. I think the other part too as well, with scoring in first half, St Kilda probably the last three weeks have scored well. And then after yeah. whether it's just them wanting to clog the game up or whether it's St Kilda just losing a little bit of its forward shape, do you maybe see probably a little bit of both? mixed into that yeah i think you're right yeah against hawthorne that was pretty evident and um yeah even last week we started fantastic as well yeah just a little bit of a hovering point on that as well because i think they kicked four goals in that second half and Mm. i feel as though again if that strategy and if that same situation happens again to again again should i say against geelong Saturday night, that they kick nine, ten goals and have, what, a four or five goal lead, that they'll go back into preservation mode and just sort of slow it down and have numbers back behind the ball and just make it a real 50-50 contest in all sections of the ground. So I think it's going to be the biggest takeaway because I think with both teams, right, Julian, we've seen in the last seven years, they've all been close games, right? Last year, St Kilda won by 10 goals. We think of two years ago when... Remember that Friday night game when they had all the scoring opportunities in the world? I think they kicked five goals, 17. The first quarter, they kicked seven behinds. And <laughs> you, look at, you look at that game alone. That ultimately cost them in cost them. Of course. Kicking five yeah. goals, 17 sounds exactly like us. Yeah, it did. And I think they, they're not, in terms of this season, Julian, as well, are a bad kicking side in front of the sticks. I think that's been a big improvement this season. And normally when they do go forward, they make the most of the opportunity. So that's something that, of course, they're going to have to do once more on Saturday night because, yeah, just the second halves, they tend to find it really difficult to score. And, of course, Geelong getting Tom Hawkins back, but losing Gary Rowan in terms of being just that another pressure forward, but also as that third tall forward option as well, just loses that extra little bit of attacking potency. So that's just a little bit of a sort of a point there heading into the game as well. And also Reece Stanley, the ruck, oh, yes. di- the ruck conundrum, shall I say, as well, Yeah, just using the better term, is the big one too. Because I think now they're going to have to use Shannon Neal. That's right. That's the number one ruckman. Although he's, what, 203 centimetres. But going up against Rowan Marshall, who in the last, what, month and a half, six weeks, has just been in sublime form. Yeah, form of his life. Unbelievable. Kicked a goal in the last five games as well, um, drifting forward and taking some big pack marks forward and back, laying tackles. In absolutely crazy, ridiculous form. Yeah, it's just been – he's had a great season once more, Julian, and I think that's where St Kilda can get the ascendancy just through his physical sheer weight of just probably that bigger body and alone as well. Again, Shannon Neal's only played, what, three or four games in his AFL career. It's going to be telling right at those ruck duels right throughout the game and just see how Geelong are going to – somehow uses second Ruckman just to sort of alleviate the pressure off Neil because they don't have Mark Blitzovs there who normally does yeah. pinch hit in the Ruck. And the other point too as well, Patrick Dangefield had 
his best game of the season right last week. And it looked like 2016 vintage Dangerfield when he won the Brownlow medal that year too. 26 disposals was, I think, 10 clearances, 12 score involvements. And yeah. I think it was nine clearances or something, and like 11 inside 50s or whatever, and a goal. So he was, that was arguably his best game of the season. And Geelong yeah. will need all of that come Saturday night. And he does produce. It can go... It can see the cats going some way to winning the game. So I just I see this as line ball, Julian. It's uh yeah, it's it's a shame. Well, sorry, I shouldn't say a shame. As a Saints supporter, it's a shame seeing Hawkins in. Jeez, that's a a big one for us to try and contain. But yeah, the Saints at Marvel against Richmond, I was you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. You called it beautifully. I noticed particularly sitting on level one in the second row, the, the amount we use the corridor was just Unbelievable. It was like night and day against that Colton game where Mason Wood had 36 disposals on the wing because we just kept kicking it up the line and then noticing because we never used the corridor and then seeing us do it against Richmond, it just forces us to play on. Use that handball to someone sweeping past like a Malira or a Jack Sinclair who are quite efficient users of the ball. And then it forces us to lower the eyes and, and hit up a good target inside 50. And as you know, when we go down the line, we just bang it in there. And then the tall intercepting defenders for the opposition just run field day on us. Like Tom Stewart would have an absolute field day against us if we play that sort of style. So, yeah, really hope that we take the game on, attack throughout the middle. And then I think we can get the, get it done. So, yeah, going to be a fantastic game. But, yeah, also it'll be great to see Dangerfield in form again, as you mentioned, and, and have a great game for the fans. So, yeah, let's hope that that one is a cracker. All right, we're going to move over to Sunday. and. Gee, this is going to be an absolute bloodbath. If you're looking for a game where it's going to be high disposals, and this is that one where every player for the Bulldogs should just tick off their minimum disposal bet. <laughs> Dear me, they're going to run right against West Coast Eagles. It's Bulldogs versus the Eagles at Marvel. In comes Anthony Scott, Jordan Sweet, Lachlan McNeil, and Luke Cleary, although I must say these are the extended interchange benches, so not all of them will feature. Out goes Tom Liberatore with that head clash we saw last week. In for the Eagles, potentially, is Callan Jamison, Jack Petrocelli, Ryan Marich, and Zane True. And out goes Greg Clark with a suspension. Uh, Western Bulldogs, they dropped a game against Hawks over in Tassie, although we know the Hawks are actually in pretty good form, so we, we might let that one slip. Although, again, as, as I know you're going to mention this, the Dogs, when they just let those goals pour in, they just still have no answer. Um, so it's interesting to see if they can try and put that into effect if they're to play finals. And West Coast, you know, they're talking about Adam Simpson, you know, being given the axe and geez, being called a joke of a club by Kane Corns there and just absolute worry of a world at the moment. So, Yuri, yeah, could this be another 100 point win to the Dogs against West Coast? Well, you feel like for the Bulldogs' sake, it has to be, Julian. And after what happened last week, where the second half alone, just Bonton Pelly and Jack McRae, Caleb Daniel, I think only had two touches in the second half, and they all just completely mm. evaporated like they're on thin air. It just, it was strange, right? Because the Super Bulldogs. Strange. The Bulldogs are so good at just retaining possession and stacking up the fair amount of disposals, and that's how they get teams. And then you look at the differential by the end of the game, it was minus 121. Their lowest team disposals for the year. In fact, they had two two players over 20 disposals, which is for the Dogs unheard of. And and that goes the end of uh, Jack McRae's over 20 streak as well. He had, I think, 68 or 69 games in a row with 20 disposals as a record, and that just went away as well. It's super odd to see those low disposals for the Dogs. I, I agree. And Bonton Pelly only had 23 touches too, Julian. And mm. losing Liberatore, that was a dent enough in itself. But yeah. Finn McGuinness had already done a great job on him at that time. And although he had the six touches and two clearances, he wasn't having that usual grunt impact and feeding mm. the quick clearances out to his teammates to allow him to go to work. So that was a real loss now. And, of course, not having him for the Eagles game is going to hurt. But yet again, 
we talk about in terms of just those periods with the Bulldogs where when they're absolutely up and running, that they they can match it with any side and they can be so perennially dangerous. But when it comes to, again, periods in games, and we also talk about other teams like Brisbane, for example, which they just sort of fizzle out just that tiniest bit and it ultimately costs them. And that's what happened to the Bulldogs, and especially down in Tassie last Sunday, Julian. And remember, I think the third quarter or no, the final quarter. I'm just trying to remember the third or final quarter where they had to kick against the wind, right? And they ultimately couldn't make the most of their opportunities. Oh, that's right. It was the third quarter, I'm pretty sure, that they had those opportunities and they they couldn't convert whatsoever. And that was ultimately the one another backbreaker for them, which they couldn't get back, although they tried to make that final surge in the final quarter. And and you look at that final 40 seconds of play, Julian, and oh, it's a nightmare. You don't have Tim English, although he's athletic at guys, what, 208 centimetres to be kicking the ball out from your back 50. <laughs> it should be Bailey Williams or Bailey Dale who had the ball, right? Yeah. Allowed him to run and create, go shoot straight down the middle pipeline and hope that either either English marks ball, either you can just tap it forward and allow someone to run onto it. But they completely messed up that plan and it was just it wasn't a great sort of vision if you're the Bulldogs during the week to look back on and something it definitely won't happen this week against West Coast. That is one hundred percent for sure. And I think the other part too, Julian, can I just sort of throw something at you as well? Mm. Crowd prediction guess. <laughs> Oh, geez, at Marvel, gosh. <laughs> I'd be lucky if I get 30,000, I reckon. Oh, there won't be 30,000. I don't <laughs> think there's going to be 30K in the house. No. I, what are you thinking? I'm, I'm thinking probably under 20K. <laughs> wow, you might you'll, be right. You'll, you'll see the 30 is just completely <laughs> vacant. And you'll probably see like a few scatterings of people in the second tier and in the first tier. And, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not going to be great. And, of course, West Coast, I'll just touch on very quickly too, Julian. Yeah, that, that was just a real sort of, again, it was a real ultimate, I'm, I'll use this in a term, just disappointment for at least that just slow sort of mini run of just competitive form for the past fortnight against Essendon and also North Melbourne. And that was just that was really insipid. I don't want to use that word, but I have to. And you just can't display performances like that when what, a full house at Optus Stadium rocks through, turnstiles at 51,000 and whatever the number was. And just to display it after kicking the first two goals, goals of the game and allowing 17 straight, mm. you can't sugarcoat that. It's yeah. just it's too painful enough to watch. And Eagles fans yeah. have seen it for the last couple of years. They haven't been in a situation well since the late 2000s, right? And Again, it's just going to be a period of just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of change at the moment, I think. And it's just, it comes to the territory, just those growing pains. And you hope for just, not just the competition's sake, but for West Coast Eagles supporters here in WA that they just at least show up and put up a fight. Because didn't we say that against Sydney two months ago, Julian? And look what happened there. Mm, That's right. (laughs) Uh-huh. It was a it was a horror show whatsoever. Yeah, it was right. like the it was like the Rocky Horror Show. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I just yeah. yeah. So hopefully that does not happen again. That that's all I'm going to put down. But the Bulldogs should be winning this. That's all I'll say.
Oh, 100% in front of 15 to 20,000 fans. <laughs> All right. We're going to move over to 320 at the MCG. It's Melbourne versus the Hawks. The Hawks have beat the Magpies and now the Bulldogs. Can they do it against Melbourne? We will find out. Adam Tomlinson, Bailey Laurie, Charlie Spargo, and Josh Shackey amongst the names that might be in. Remember, these are extended interchanges. Michael Hibbard was the sub and he's listed as out. In for Hawthorne, Brandon Ryan, Henry Husway, the new player there, Jai Sarong, Max Ramsden, Ned Long, and Tyler Brockman, all names that might feature. Out goes Bailey McDonald, he was the sub. Mitch Lewis with that injury, and Chad Wingard with the Achilles injury. Sad news for Wingard. I don't know if this might be the end of him. Um, haven't heard anything on that front. What do you think about this one? Melbourne, you know, they almost got there against Carlton, um, and they're, they're, you know, they've got Oliver back. They're looking like, you know, what are they, second on the ladder at the moment? They're... um. In fine form. Yeah, fourth at the moment on the ladder. But still playing some fantastic um, football. I think I I would like to say that the Melbourne Demons get this one. I think the Hawks have had their two good games and the Ds will sort of put them back in their place. But who knows if the Hawthorne Hawks play the way they did against the Pies and against the Dogs, that football can beat anyone. What do you think? Oh, definitely agree so too, Julian. Losing Mitch Lewis, that's... They'll lose so much of their forward structure yeah. because what he's done since his return from injury as well. And I think he will have had a big part to play as well up against Stephen May and try to isolate him alone and use his big frame presence to try and create those leading, leading patterns, which he's so good at as well. And I think one-on-one contest he's exceptionally good at too. So that's a loss for Hawthorne. And I think Melbourne as well, it's the whole configuring of trying to still find that missing four-piece puzzle, right? Because, again, I think Bailey Fritch is going to return next week after he's basically been on the sidelines for almost two months now mm. with that foot injury, which he hurt against the Giants back in round 16, I think, in Alice Springs. So that's a big upside for the Demons because he's been fantastic the last three seasons now. So that that's really good for Melbourne. I think with Josh Shackey as well, him being one of the emergencies, I think just have an inkling about this. I think he'll come into the team like in their best 22 when the teams are announced the final 22 teams are announced tomorrow afternoon i think they're going to have to roll the dice and have another forward because again we saw last saturday night against carlton with Brody grundy he i think it was something like 72 percent he was playing in the forward half and then just those numbers this this disapparated after that as well dissipated shall i say and eventually got to a point where i think they lost trust him in a way as a forward and just wasn't giving them a contest. And eventually, of course, they went back to Gornis, that Sol Ruckman, and it yeah. sort of leaves again another mystifying puzzle on what happens with Brody Grundy. And I said yesterday also on the podcast too, and we spoke about just about the pairing with Gorn and Grundy. It was almost the same conundrum Melbourne had with when Braden Proust came over mm. in the off in the 2018 off season and thought the partnership with him and Max Gorn would work. Well, Braden Proust is another number one ruckman though, Julian. So yeah. that's where the issue falls down upon and another sort of scratcher for Melbourne where they're going to have to figure out what happens at the end of this week, whether sadly they dropped Grundy once more and just, of mm. course, it was already working with Max Gorn there when Grundy was dropped, I think, round 16 or so. So, yeah. yeah, it's just a real, it's a tough situation to be in and it's sort of, it's tough enough for Grundy as it is, especially when he was sold a big picture as well and coming to Melbourne and what the grand plans would be as well with him and Max Gorn. So that's pretty hard to process. Back to the contest as well for Sunday too, Julian. I don't think we'll see anything like what happened in the probably the first 
caught in a bit of that round nine clash when he thought, oh, Melbourne just got to scoot her way to a 15-16 goal win because they were 39 points up five minutes into the second quarter. And then Hawthorne really showed signs of life yeah. in that second half, three goals in the first five minutes and brought the margin back to 27 points, although they end up, they end up ultimately losing the game. I think that was more than an, enough of a competitive effort because, again, the last three matches are pretty telltale in Julian, although they haven't one or three. There was a draw there in 2021. They lost by 10 points last year. If recent form is anything to go by as well, they should be right up to their ears in terms of giving Melbourne an absolutely fright for the up to the final two, three minutes of the contest, Julian. And I think, again, we saw that whole enthusiasm, vigour, endeavour of Hawthorne's young nucleus midfield with John Newcomb, who just threw yeah. himself around like there was no tomorrow with the 40 touches and a goal and of course, Josh Weddle, we know, just runs and runs and runs. And I think the opposition doesn't know where he's running to except him. So, <laughs> yeah, they've got all the sort of the young formulas in place at this stage. And, and whether it's going to last 120 minutes once more, well, that's going to be another posing question, another intriguing headline going into the game. Melbourne, though, there's just, I think, too much drive enough to secure the four points and for them to just be a little bit more closer to securing up a top four spot. Love the analysis there. It'll be interesting to see who Finn McGuinness goes to as well. Oliver, Petrarca, do they throw him on someone like Brayshaw? Who knows? We're going to move over to the final game of the round. It's Fremantle versus Port Adelaide at Optus Stadium, 4.40pm. Names that might feature in the lineup um, by tomorrow, Bailey Banfield, Nathan Wilson, Tom Emmett and Travis Collier for Freo with Michael Walters going out with an injury. And in for Port Adelaide potentially is Hugh Jackson, Jackson Mead and Travis Boak. What do you think about this one? This is an interesting one because the Dockers, you know, they're the most, uh, they're the hardest team to tip, I swear. One week they're playing fantastic football and then the next week they look like the wooden spoon team. So <laughs> it's an interesting one. And Port Adelaide, they really showed how classy they are last week against the Giants. And I think they're starting to get some good players back as well. They're super um, short in the odds for the premiership as well. So, you know, the betting companies haven't um, ruled out Port Adelaide as well. And with good reason, they're still up there and showing great signs. I think Port Adelaide get it done. What do you think, Yuri? Yeah, same too, Julian. The clearance work last week against the Giants was devastating. Although it was only plus seven. Plus seven felt like plus 15, 16 with Horn Francis, Connor Rosie, Zach Butters Mm -hmm. running right through the midfield as well. And it's just that first burst of speed that all three players have to break away from the contest, which makes them so lethal going forward. And that's what provides so much silver service for them, like Jeremy Finlayson, and Todd Marshall. And, of course, Charlie Dixon didn't play last week and Port Adelaide hoped to regain him back sooner or later. But when they get their amount of disposal, and it doesn't need to be 35-40, right, especially if Horn Francis joined, he end up, I think it was 27 touches, three goals last week, but all 27 touches were to such devastating effect. And that's exactly why he wanted to come back home to mm. play in front of such a passionate supporter base. As we all know, Port Adelaide, who expect nothing but great play and also results and also players who just embody the Port Adelaide jumper alone. And we saw last week them donning those old retro Port Adelaide teal. I think it was the, white thunderbolt, the black and the teal on the other side, which was basically the jumper throwback to the late 90s, early 2000s, which I think, Julian, can I say one thing? They need to bring it back on a permanent basis from next season onwards, please. (laughs) You already said it. Let's get it happening. (laughs) Do it. They have to do it. But again, with Fremantle too, Julian, they've shown last fortnight 
they've got to stick to a strategy slash game plan of playing fast because that's what they have as an advantage over some teams is their leg speed. And if they can stick to it, then it's going to hold them well going into 2024. And that young four group as well, Sam Sturt, who's had his fair share. He's had to really bide his time. Of course, he had those couple of concussions, shall I say, in his first season in 2019 and had to really sort of work hard at waffle level for Peel Thunder. And he was fantastic last week as well, Sturdy, in that Western Derby 57. I think he four goals as well and really gave the Dockers a f- another focal forward target up there too. And, of course, Jai Amos, who's had a brilliant second season as well at the top-tier level. And their small forwards as well have really got back to form in the past month as well, not just on the scoreboard, but just pressure at ground level and what they're so renowned for, which is such a big caper in the Dockers' 450 plan. So re- really good effort as well from Fremal, of course, well, losing Natalie Brisbane, but to do the demolition job as they did to West Coast last week and record their biggest ever Western Derby win, that was a tremendous effort too. And I think the other part as well, which may give them just enough drive too, Julian, is that Port Adelaide haven't won a game here at Optus Stadium against Fremal. Wow. Yep. So, <laughs> wow. I didn't, that's an interesting stat. Yep. So if anything's to go by, Julian, look for that as a source of motivation for Fremal to burst the Port Adelaide bubble. So, again, I just once more say, like Melbourne against Hawthorne, Port Adelaide, they've locked a, locked away top four spot. They're in the same boat as the Demons and as Brisbane to lock away a home qualifying final, and they should just have enough to get the job done for mine. Yep, I think so as well. Well, that brings us to the end of round 23. I'm going to do something different. What I'm, I haven't done my research yet. For those who have uh, followed my pages. I'm quite a big fantasy slash better. So I'm just going to scroll through the games and give you my, I guess my leg that I would add to a multi. So it's going to be nine legs. That would be, so I'm going to choose my most favorable betting tip. And some of these might sound super short, like the odds might be a dollar 15, but if you add it to your leg and there's nine, it might get to three or $4. So just scrolling past it very quickly without having looked at this, I assure you. Collingwood, Brisbane, I'm going to say Noble, 15. Adelaide, Sydney, I'm going to go Jake Lloyd for 20. Gold Coast, Carlton, I'm going to go Zach Fisher for 15. Giants, Essendon, I I like Brent Daniels for 15. Richmond versus North, I'm going to go Taranto for 25. St. Kilda versus Geelong, add these all to your legs. Nasaya, 20 20 disposals, 100%. Fremantle versus Port Adelaide. Jeez, I I actually don't like that game too much, to be honest. (laughs) Jeez, maybe Rosie for 20. And then Melbourne, Hawks. Uh, Hawks defenders, uh, they like um, lurkers around the back line do well against Hawks. I'm going to go Trent Rivers for 15. And then Dogs, West Coast Eagle. Add all the dogs to your multi. I'm going to go Bailey Dale, 25. That should be a lock as well. So look, we'll go through those next week and see if those, uh, those get up. So there's nine tips from me. That should equal about 2 or $3. So double or triple your money. That brings us to the end of round 23 at the Mojo Sports Network. I hope that AFL preview gives you a bit of insight into the games and hopefully you can use that for your tipping, your fantasy and your betting. Yuri, were there any pieces, articles, or channels that you wanted to shout out to the listeners before we move on? Yes, just a couple in the last probably 24 to 48 hours, Julian. So yesterday's podcast as well, the Sporting Mates podcast, which is we've been doing a thing through Sportsgrad at the moment, which has been up and running for the last month. So yeah, it's, it was a really good episode yesterday. Also, just a bit of an overview from round 22 and just a quick tip that's off, tips for round 23 coming up starting tomorrow night of course with Collingwood and Brisbane and also put up an article as well mine 
blog account too, just on the talking points away from round 22. So you can check that out on my Substack account. And yep. in the next week as well, I'm looking to put up a Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook piece, should I say as well, and also Dwayne Wade too after his induction into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So yep. yeah, that that and much more coming up and also too the talking points for round 23. So yeah, heap to look forward to, Julian. Fantastic. Thanks again, Yuri, for the analysis. Really appreciate it. And thank you to all the listeners. You can check out the Mojo Sports Network podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your nearest podcast app. There are some fantastic shows that are coming through on the Mojo Sports Network. So diverse with all the different sports that we are talking about. So AFL being one of my favorites, but there's NBA, NRL, so many exciting shows on there. So make sure you check it out. Thank you once again, everyone, for joining us. And Yuri, we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week, Julian. Can't wait and enjoy the footy. 